Wow. Man. So, good, good note here. Um, as we get rolling this morning and as we're looking at everything, that song that you just sang, um, that song that you just sang is actually where we're going to be over the next few weeks. The parts of Is He Worthy really is going to lean into two passages of Scripture. One we'll look at uh, in the coming weeks about the lamb, finding a lamb worthy to open the scroll. And, and then we'll also talk about that scene of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So, so we're going to get into that world a little bit as we uh, get rolling into this week. But if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1, the book or letter of Revelation. <clears throat> As we do that, kids, don't forget, I'll be drawing on the board so that you can kind of follow along with us and we'll enjoy that. It's already been an amazing day. And this week, we're going to set up the next three weeks. And I think this is really meaningful. It's really important because how we read this letter matters. I don't know about you, but this, this last series before Christmas is unafraid, right? He is unafraid. And so we can live unafraid. I mean, that's, that's really, there's some joy in Scripture in this. And we're in a time and a season where it seems like there's a lot of things trying to make us afraid, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's just really a, a thing. And just so that you'll know my heart, um, we were at a small church right before this. And across the street from our church, a little teenage girl was going to pick up her paycheck from a pizza place and was, was kidnapped and has been trafficked and and so some of this is really close to my heart right now. And I think, Lord, how do we, how do we live in the world that is like that, unafraid? And the answer is, is Jesus, and it's found in Scripture. And, and as we read this letter, this book of Revelation, what I want you to really know is it's written for a different purpose than what we might have thought. And I'm going to jump right in so we make the most of our time together today. If you have your Bible, we're just going to read chapter 1, verse 1 of this letter that Paul writes, or that John writes. And I'll refer back and forth between a letter and, and a book. It's the same thing. It just depends on how I'm feeling at the moment. Um, but if you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. You'll see it here. This is what the Bible says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant, John. Now, as we jump into this, I really want you to, to know and see there's a big picture here. When we talk about preaching through Revelation, and I have folks come and say, Pastor, we're going to preach through Revelation. Often I get, I mean, not just the churches, but like the good stuff, you know. And so the first three chapters are really about the churches but the whole book is to the church so here's what i'm going to promise you today we're going to look at the context for this letter and then we'll get to the good stuff Are you follow me so this week if this isn't good what follows isn't right and that's what's so important about this and how we start a letter really matters this says the revelation of jesus christ which was get which god gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place this first thing right here this word revelation is one that we're familiar with but we're familiar with in a very interesting way it's the word apocalypse right so when you would read this you would say this is the apocalypse um, of Jesus Christ which God gave him 
Would, would that make it a popular book in our world? That's the question. Hey, let's read the apocalypse today. You know, what, what is that like? And, and when you think about the word apocalypse, I grew up, I don't know about you, but my granddad had an RV, right? Any of you have an RV or grow up with a grandparent with an RV or something like that? That's it. So we, we were in the one, the motorhome that you drove in. And every time we'd stop for gas, we went inside and we would look for the comic book rack. Do you remember that? I mean, it was, some of you don't, that's sad. But others of you are with me. And we get the comic book and we get it. And I loved the X-Men. You know, I loved doing that in the late 80s with them and the early 90s. It was so great. And we would do it. And like everything is getting blown up all the time. Everybody's like, no one, you can get shot with a thousand ton missile and be fine in the next episode. It's so amazing. Like it's just all about destruction. And when I have thought of the word apocalypse as a young man and as a, as a child specifically, I would tell you that that's what I envision, like things blowing up and massive destruction and, and all of this just like chaos and, and death. Is that what you kind of pictured as the word apocalypse? That's kind of what, I, what I've got. But this Bible, this, this verse, this passage says that this is the apocalypse. Or this is, yeah, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And, and yet, the audience doesn't match the definition. Because if we put a worldly definition on this, this is the death and destruction and chaos of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants. Does that sound right? Not in our modern definition. You see, apocalypse was a genre of writing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Jewish literature, it was a style of writing. This is big. The word apocalypse is the combination of two words. One is un, or to take off. And the other is the word cover. That's what the word apocalypse means. It means to uncover. Now, I want to choose this. this. This title may not be as flashy as it would have been back then. But if you were to think this is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ versus this is the uncovering of Jesus Christ that God gave him for his people. Does that feel different to you? Does that, does that all of a sudden start to change things a little bit? Because really then we start to say, well then if this is the uncovering, right, I'll make it active, the uncovering of Jesus Christ that God gave him, all of a sudden I'm thinking of it more like a Christmas present, right? All of a sudden I'm thinking, this is awesome. I can't wait to find out what's going on. I mean, no one runs, runs to their birthday and, and sees all these presents there and says, I can't wait to not find out what's inside, right? We, we, don't, we don't want that. When, when our eyes are covered, that darkness, it makes us afraid a little bit, doesn't it? Even if someone says, trust me, we, we trust you, but we're also kind of anxious. What God says is, I'm writing this letter to you to remove, to show you something. Now, I want to read verse 1 through 3 together, and then we'll stay in verse 1 for a minute. Because this is, again, how we read this verse makes a difference for the rest of the book. You, find, you follow me here? 
Okay, verse one through three is what the Bible says. And I'll go to verse four just a little bit. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the thing that must soon take place. He made it known through sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is year. John, to the seven church, churches in Asia, grace and peace from him who is, who was, who is to come, and from the seven stars before his throne. I want you to, to know, as we talk through this big picture of what it looks like for God to give us this uncovering, he doesn't give this uncovering just to anybody. First, it's given to his servants. So God gave Jesus something for God's children. Now here's where I want scripture to jump in your mind because what we're doing today is we're setting the tone for the whole book. Jesus says, if an earthly father knows how to give what kind of gifts? Good gifts. How much more does the heavenly father? You see, what God wants for his children is good. You can read that through every page of scripture. What God wants for his children is good. Even when God disciplines us, he disciplines his children because he loves us. That's what scripture says. So if God, the Father, created this and he gave it to Jesus, his son, to share with us, to give with us, to show us things that must soon take place, is God giving us something that will scare the fire out of us so that we'll come running to him because we're scared of hell? Does that sound like a good gift? Like, I just want to scare you so badly that you'll come running to me. Does, that actually sounds abusive, doesn't it? I mean, think on that for just a moment. If that's God's intent, is I, I, I want to scare you so much that you have no other option but to come to me, that's saying that God is so unattractive and so weak and he needs you and me so much, he just wants to scare us from so that we have no other choice. That, that wouldn't line up in Scripture from the start to the end. But what does line up with Scripture is that God so loves us and he cares for us that he wants to show us something as a blessing that will be good for us. Verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Blessed are the ones who hear and do it, who keep for his written. Verse four, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. If the apocalypse of John the apocalypse of Jesus Christ from the Father, if it is meant to scare you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, how in the world would the invitation be grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and is to come? It doesn't, it doesn't jive, does it? It doesn't line up? When you read the book of Revelation, 
Have you ever thought, oh Lord, if you just take me home before it all happens, I'm in? Anybody been like that? Like, come on, God, this is so good. And what you're really saying is, I want you to return. I don't want to die because that part scares me a little bit for a minute, right? But, but we think this idea like, Lord, I don't want to see it. But God is saying, I am showing you this as a blessing, church. So when you read the words that are on every page following this sentence, I want you to read it as a gift of God through his son so that your eyes can be uncovered and your spirit can be encouraged. That's why we have this letter, period. Here's the thing. When we read it, we must read it in context. We must read it in its big picture. Look at verse four. John to the whom? To the seven churches. What we find in scripture here is this, is that this book is written two ways. One, that has a primary audience. And two, is the secondary, right? The primary audience is not you and I. We're the secondary recipients of this letter. The primary recipients are in this passage. It, it's the seven churches, these are seven real existing churches at the time of John. And as we get to hear their story, they are living out what you and I call history, and we are living out something very similar. You see, because the word uncovering an apocalypse when it comes to Jewish culture, it doesn't just mean to uncover your eyes. It means to uncover God's will and God's plan from a heavenly perspective. In other words, to show us what history, how it foretold of the promise and the purpose of God. How the present, uncovered by the Spirit of God, tells us about the plans and the promises of God. And how the future will also do the same. But one day, this is the difference. The book of Revelation isn't just any uncovering. What the Bible says is there is this spiral of sin. And, and its grip on the world. And, and it happens again and again. There's a pattern of rebellion. God's people rejecting him, embracing sin. Creation, rejecting the creator, embracing the creation. The book of Judges, that rebellion. And people did what's right in their own eyes. If you look at this cycle, there's always a place of rebellion against God for something God has created. In this cycle, there's always a tool of rebellion. I would tell you that if you were to look at these patterns, you would probably say that they are military and they are economic or probably the primary tools of mass rebellion. Lust of your heart, do it, being fortunate in the world's eyes, I would call on that economic kind of world. Like these are the tools that say, I'm gonna rebel against God and how I'm gonna rebel against God is I am going to pursue power, fame, influence, might by my cunning, by my wit, by my desire. And then there's an outcome of a rebellion. Look throughout history. 
every rebellion what gets broken every rebellion gets broken we could look back to genesis the world rejected god adam and eve started that ball rolling they embraced it with its full culture what did god do he broke it Look through the book of Judges again and again, broken. Look at the great kingdoms of the world, Rome, Babylon, whatnot, broken. When you and I look at the book of Revelation, God says, I want you to know, even the enemy doesn't know when the history's pattern is gonna end, but one day, I'm gonna break it for good. And I'm gonna make all things new for those who are mine. And they will not live in that broken spiral anymore. That's the way that God's uncovering, God's apocalypse, God's revelation of Jesus Christ is a gift to us. Because it says, as we look back on history, I'm going to show you how I was sovereign through it all. I always would break it. The enemy never, never won. He never took my place. But here's the thing. The seven churches are living in this spiral, just like you and I are. The seven churches are living in Rome. Domination is probably uh, ruling Rome right now, which means they are being persecuted like mad people. I mean, they are under severe, real, physical threat of violence. They are really being put to the thumb of things. They are in the midst of this. And God says, I'm sharing this with you because here's what I want you to see. All that you've ever seen and all that you're experiencing right now, when it's uncovered through my testimony given to you through Jesus Christ, just lets you see every battle as a map to victory. It lets you see every step as a step of God's faithfulness. It's meant to show us that God is good and then Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So you don't have to doubt. So here's what I wanna do. I just wanna take a few minutes and I wanna walk you through the state of the seven churches. Because the reason for that is, is I want you to see how you and I find ourselves in a time and a place and a position that's similar to who they are. In the seven churches, um, there are seven. I'm not going to write them all on the board, mainly because I would misspell some. And uh, I don't want to be corrected after church. Amen? If you were to look in your Bible, starting in chapter 2 through th chapter 3, the middle of chapter 3, you're going to walk through this. If your Bible has titles in it, that's great. If not, I'll tell you the names. There are seven churches, all seem to be at some kind of crossroads. First you have Sardis, excuse me, first you have Ephesus, then you have Smyrna, then you have Pergamum, then Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and the last one, Laodicea. Now, all these churches kind of find themselves in groupings. You have this grouping of two, two, and three. Two of these churches, you're going to see, are really strong, right? Those are the churches of Sardis and, La excuse me, those are the churches of Smyrna in Philadelphia. In chapter 2, verse 8, it says about Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. God's saying, I got you. 
You have, your, your treasures are built up. To Philadelphia in chapter 3, verse 8, God says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before an open door, and no one's able to shut it. I know that you have a little power, yet you've kept my word, and you've not denied your name. To these two churches, to Smyrna and to Philadelphia, we see that they are strong, and God highlights good in them. But then we see a couple of other churches. Look chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 1. And if you want, chapter 3, verse 15. I'll, I'll read them and you can reference them. The Bible says this. Sardis, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Laodicea, I know your works and you are neither hot nor cold. He goes on to say, I will spit you out of my mouth. Two of these churches are really weak and my word weak is kind two of these churches that they are lost churches they have completely given in to this hypocrisy of trying to look like jesus on the outside but being dead before the god who will judge them i don't think this is meant to make us miss the point that this feels like Jesus saying your whitewashed tombs clean on the outside, dead on the inside to the Pharisees. These are churches who have just simply embraced hypocrisy of trying to hold all onto the world and put on a good show for their church friends. And in three of these churches, what we see in the word I would say is struggling. In fact, I would say often that's the churches that we find ourselves with. These would be Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira. In these three churches, we would see in, in verse chapter 2, all three of them are found, starting in chapter 2, verse 2. I know your works. God says, I know what's going on, but, verse 4, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Pergamum, verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's thrown in, thrown is. And yet you hold fast to my name. And then he goes on and says, but I have a few things against you. To Thyatira, I know your works, but you tolerate these other things. Here's the amazing thought about these three things, church. Is that two of these churches are struggling with sexual immorality. Two of them are wrestling with that. And one who finds themselves in the same group says that you are not sharing the gospel. You've become a holy huddle, concerned about your small group, your life group, your church. You're not inviting anybody in and you're not sending anybody out. You're talking the name of Jesus to your kids, but you're not talking the name of Jesus to your friends. In our American culture, this doesn't feel as bad as this, does it? Right? I mean, this feels way worse than this. But the church of Ephesus had lost its first love, and God says, return to the things that you did at first. I, I think often we give ourselves a pass and try to make it pretend like we belong up here when we're really here as a church. Here's the beautiful thing. No matter how broken or beautiful you are, if you are in Christ Jesus, God has a blessing available to you. And this isn't some prosperity gospel stuff. 
But that blessing is dependent on who God is, his ability, his heart. And we have to understand that that blessing for us is contingent on him. I think that's why this uncovering of all of this is really important. I think that's why it has to fit underneath this banner. Because if we don't think of ourselves as understanding God's word underneath his uncovering, uncovering, all of a sudden pride makes an excuse for us and it closes someone else down. But listen to what James says in chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go and do such and such in town. We'll spend a year there. We'll trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Church, this phrase, if the Lord wills, wills it's the pendulum the, the peak that our life balances on see with these three churches God says some of you are vile towards me like you are vile and I'm telling you just like our church not everyone who was in this church who would hear this letter was a true follower of Jesus Christ not everyone was but yet God writes the letter to all and he says, here's the deal. I want you to know, I know you. I know what's in your heart. I know if you're really strong. I know if you're really weak. I know if you're really struggling. Don't fake it. Don't pretend it with me. Don't put a show on for your church friends and then do something. Don't do it. I know where you are. But in every single one, God says this. If you are reading this letter, here's why you are blessed. Because you have a choice. To compromise, compromise, or to conquer. Like, this is your choice. What he says to the churches is the same again and again. Ephesus 2, verse 5 repent and do the works at first to the one who conquers. Smyrna chapter 2 verse 10, be faithfully says and then he says to the one who conquers. In Pergamum, repent and then he will go on to say to the one who conquers. Thyatira, repent for those who are embracing sin, hold fast to those who are being faithful and to the one who conquers. To Sardis, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent and then he will say to the one who conquers. To Philadelphia, hold fast and then he will say to the one who conquers, to Laodicea, buy from me gold refined by fire. Open the door to me. And then he would say, and then to the one who conquers. Conquer is always described by being faithful. Here's what I wrote down in my journal at this point. The way that we conquer isn't by compromising heavenly directives and world, with worldly strategies. We aren't living for spoils of war, but the reward from the king. You see, what the one who conquers awaits in all of these churches is a reward. And what the one who compromises awaits and all of these things is judgment.
and they're exclusive. The one who compromises will not receive the reward, and the one who is faithful will not receive judgment. And the Lord says, this is my gift to you, church. Because you know what God's plan is for you. You know what God has in store for you. So as you read this book of the uncovering, let me tell you why it's scary and who it's scary to. The one who says, God, I'm not willing to live a life for you that doesn't compromise. This is why it's fearful, because the judgment is real. For the one who says, I'm going to hold on to this and try to hold on to Jesus, you won't receive your reward. I mean, the church at Ephesus, God says, I'll remove your lampstand. In other words, if you aren't going to be about my work, I will shut your doors. The enemy does not shut the doors to God's church. Do you hear me? The Lord closes them. If you and I want to live our personal life in compromising, saying, well, I want to dabble here and dabble here, but at the end, I'll have time to turn to Jesus for sure, then I want you to know the gift of revelation is it's no secret that judgment awaits that path. The blessing of revelation, the uncovering, is also the same. You weren't made to compromise. You weren't made to find yourself always walking in these two different worlds. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you walked in the day to this church as weak as possible, trapped in sin, wrestling between the feelings of your heart and the call of the Spirit, or walking strong in the Lord. The blessing is the same it was the Lord's will to let you know that your eyes can be uncovered and that if you are faithful to God in repentance, in following, in holding fast, in running after him, then it doesn't matter how you walked in because you will walk out with a future of victory, of conquering. That's his plan for you. His plan for you is to see the goodness and the riches and the joy that he has in store for you. And the blessing is not just knowing that that's the heart of a God who gave his only son so that you and I could be called sons and daughters of the king. But it's also in knowing that the sin that you have been wrestling with, letting go of, holding on to, letting go of, holding on to, or maybe even saying full embrace, God, if you don't want me this way, I don't want you. That's the scariest statement you'll ever make in your whole life. Because if that's where you remain, the gift of revelation is the uncovering that you are now accountable for you know judgment comes and it, it didn't have to. But if you lay it all at the feet of the King of kings and Lord of lords, who sent by his Father so that you could have life to the fullest, if you lay all of that down before him, 
when you read these notes to the seven churches, I want you to read to the one who conquers, to the dad who conquers, to the mom who conquers, to David Adams who conquers, to insert your name. What happens if we raise a generation of children who know nothing but compromising to try to accomplish heavenly things through worldly strategies is a road to failure? How does tomorrow change? What happens if we live that out in our heart today? Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time and this place and this day. And Lord, I I know it's just one verse the uncovering of Jesus Christ given to him by God to show the church what a sweet thing it is God as we walk through the pages of this letter over the next few weeks God I pray that you would let us see them as a blessing as a gift from our God and our King not something to be afraid of God but something to encourage us Lord Jesus, in this room today, if there are are men and women who are holding on to sin and trying to hold on to you right now, Father, would would you bless them by letting them know, Lord, that they are on a path that leads to judgment, but through surrendering their life to Christ Jesus and following him faithfully as Lord God, that you will change their course right here, right now. Lord, if there are those who are running hard after you, Lord, and they've gotten weary and tired, Lord, don't let them grow weary of doing good. But because of the promise of your uncovering, let them keep their eyes on the harvest and don't let them quit. Father, we praise you. You didn't have to uncover our eyes. You didn't have to make the fault scales fall from Paul's eyes. You didn't have to show Abraham the promise, but you chose to. Thank you for being good. In Jesus' name, amen.